All right, all right. Welcome to the rush. Welcome to the rush uh, on this beautiful Champ U Elite Camp Thursday, SEC Thursday, SEC Thursday. That's what we can say. Um, you know, we we were we we were excited. Obviously, had a lot of different leaks here and there. Uh, we were waiting here on these airwaves and at uh, Rudy's uh, um, there with with Joe C and Coach and Gabe and. Teddy and, uh, and and Toby, and all of a sudden, they dropped it out of nowhere. Dropped it out of nowhere, no rivals first, no alphabetical order, bam, hit you with Oklahoma schedule right off the top. So, um, yeah, exciting stuff. Me and, me and Pearson studio today, we got Teddy uh, on another golf course because that's just, I guess that's what Teddy that does in the summer. That's all he does now? That's all he does now. He's just hanging out on a golf course. Teddy, do we have you or is your living the golf live? Okay, there he is. I wasn't sure if uh, you were going to say, "Hey guys, my connection uh, is bad," but what it really meant is you were going to go squeeze nine in. I okay. I did think about going out and uh, hitting a couple of uh, maybe a small bucket of balls on the on the range and act like I had a, a connection issue, but. I figured I'd come back, go ahead and uh, do what I'm supposed to be doing and hang out with you guys because, gentlemen, we got a bunch to talk about. What's our What's our initial thoughts, guys, on what we saw with the schedule released last night? I love it. I mean, I, you get the home games. I'm not sure you could have drawn up better home games, right, Ted? I mean, you don't have, you know, the the Missouris of the world coming. Obviously, we have to play them. You don't have Vanderbilt coming. You don't have Mississippi State coming. You get good storylines with Beamer coming in South Carolina and obviously Heupel coming home is is maybe the biggest storyline of the season probably, depending on kind of what the teams look like at the time. Um, and then obviously, you know, with old St. Nick coming to town. I'm just really impressed with the home schedule. The away, you know, you're not going to – you're not going to get a perfect away schedule and you get Missouri in there. But I'll tell you what, going to Auburn, I know Parker's really excited about that. I'm stoked about going to Ole Miss. I don't think that's going to be a terribly tough game. It's going to be a tough game by Big 12 standards, but by SEC standards, I don't think it's going to be very tough. And boy, oh boy, give me LSU at night, man. Let's, let's go ahead and roll right in. Yeah, I think – I agree about the schedule. I feel like this is a good way to kind of dip your toes into the SEC waters. It's tough and exciting, but at the same point, it could have hypothetically been a way harder schedule. So I like kind of having some of those easier games like Mizzou to where you're not you're not thrown into the fire and it's a giant fire and there's no way you're making it out with a winning record. So I think it's a good kind of in-between, super hard and kind of easy and exciting. I like how you said some of those games like Missouri. Um, <laughs> that's really the only one. Uh, Auburn wasn't I guess great last year. You throw Auburn. Yeah, I th- you throw Auburn in there. Th- that's kind of the wild card. I expect Auburn to. Like they've they've done a bunch of transfer portal stuff, trying to get some older experience in there. Um, you know, and this goes for us too. We're projecting how difficult the schedule's going to be in 24 based off of what we saw in 22 and who we were in 22, right? So it's not necessarily an accurate picture. I We look at this schedule right now and say, that's, that's pretty tough with the chance to be brutal. But if we go win 10 games, win the Big 12, 
Uh, heck, who knows, maybe even having a, a chance at a playoff uh, entry. Uh, we're going to look at that schedule totally different. So perspective right now is 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 a little bit skewed. Um, you know, South Carolina is going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Tennessee most likely going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Auburn, LSU's going to. Um, who knows what you're going to get with Missouri, Ole Miss. You know, so, I mean, I, it's interesting. Like, right now, here's what I'll say. Like, it's hard to project necessarily on some of these teams what what type of program they're going to have at the time. But, like, for name and for, like, fan base, like, you're getting some big fan bases coming in, and you're going to some awesome venues that we've never been to before. Yeah, and I think that's what's most exciting, right, is – the actual venues are are truly elite because it doesn't matter, you know, if Auburn's down or if Ole Miss is down or even when LSU was down. You know, those are those are still great environments. Really excited about those. But it's interesting, Teddy, because you brought that up, right? Like we're we're looking at 2022 results to judge a 2024 schedule. I mean, they're probably uh, you know on Auburn Tiger talk, uh, you know, today saying. Well, you know, Oklahoma, you know, they're, they're down, so that should be easy. While we're saying, oh, Auburn's down. You know what I mean? Like, two years from now, you know, who knows what we look like? I mean, I think, I think since we know about recruiting and whatnot and, and versus what Auburn's done in recruiting, we get a little bit of a picture. But, um, yeah, it, it, really exciting, uh, really exciting stuff. With LSU, Harold Perkins is going to be there. Teddy, you brought it up last night. That that's probably the best defensive player in America at in 2024. So we'll uh, we'll need to yeah. go ahead and start training for that right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, that's a tough one, <laughs> right? And that's the thing is LSU's going to. I I don't know who their quarterback's going to be after the Daniels kid's gone, but we know they're going to have a incredibly athletic roster. All right, that's just how they always are. All right, same thing with Bama. Tennessee is going to have a big physical athletic roster. They'll probably be good at, at quarterback as well. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of work to do. We've improved our roster from where we were a year ago. Um, we're going to have to continue to upgrade uh, across the board, all positions, uh, defensive line, offensive line, skill position guys, you know, you just got a you got a a bigger, uh, lengthier type of athlete, more common in the SEC than what we're used to seeing. So, um, we got to just continue to upgrade, man. Recruiting, transfer portal, turning over all the leaves in the junior college ranks. Like, that's what we're gonna have to do, and that's what we've been doing. Just got to continue. You heard Venables last night talk about competitive depth, right? We, I would say our our Starters right now are getting close, but we don't have a whole lot of competitive depth compared to some of these other uh, deep athletic rosters that we're going to face. Right, but when when I look at it this year compared to even last year, Ted, it's, you know, when you think of some of the players that left in the portal and, you know, love them, but when you think of just contributions on the field, you got guys like Bray Walker and Brian Darby and Trayvon West and Micah Bowens and Jackson Sumlin and, um, you know, a a lot of these guys that, didn't necessarily see the field 
when you replace that with guys like Rondo Bothroyd and Trace Ford and Desan McCullough and Andrew Anthony and Reggie Pearson and 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 Connor Near and and a lot of these guys, it almost feels like Teddy that we kind of took the bottom of the roster and took about ten off of that and then added ten to the middle, kind of the upper middle third of the roster. And I think that's that's going to help tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about our schedule compared to Texas? You know, Good it Lord. is – Texas's schedule is quite a bit easier than ours. Now, they do play Georgia. Um, but here's the thing. I We're going to flip with them in 25, right? So, I think that's how that's supposed to work. So, in 25, we would – I think play their schedule, which kind of helps a lot, right? And I know it's tough for 24, but, you know, I I really don't bother with that. Um, the reason they got an easier schedule, if you look at the, the way that they decided on how to schedule it, is because Texas has sucked recently. So maybe it was all a ploy. Maybe they sucked for a decade to where they'd have an easier schedule whenever they enter the SEC. Right. I mean, when you look at, like you said, Texas has the easier schedule, but then obviously the first comment after that is, well, they have, you know, Georgia on the schedule. Yeah, well, we have Bama. Bama signed 34 five-stars in the last four classes. Like, like, like the whole idea that, you know, Bama, oh, well, they're not Georgia. I mean, they're pretty close. They're, they're as close as it gets. So, uh, you know, you're going to feel it a week after you play that team. So, if Teddy, if you were just to take away Alabama from OU schedule and Georgia from Texas's, let's just, for argument's sake, say that that's a wash. I mean, Texas has, you know, Kentucky, which obviously we like what Stoops is doing out there, but still not they're not going to keep you up at night quite like some of the other teams would. They've got Mississippi State. They've got Vanderbilt. Arkansas, Texas A&M, and then Florida, who's going to be, you know, who knows if Lagway even sticks. You know, that'll be Napier. There's a lot to, you know, they've got a five-and-a-half win win total this year. So I don't, Vegas doesn't feel really good about where they're at. When you compare that to teams that we have to play specifically at LSU, Tennessee's better than pretty much anybody on Texas's schedule outside of Georgia. Like, we, we absolutely have the tougher schedule. And, again, like you said, Texas fans will say, well, we play Georgia. Okay, that's one loss. The rest of your schedule is cakewalk right. compared to ours. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I really don't care about the difficulty of the schedule. I actually welcome it. I, I want a difficult schedule. I want I want the fans to be anxious about some of the games. I there's just not nearly I who cares about and I know people love to go to the games like we pack that place. But honestly, who deeply cares about going to games whenever you know you're going to win? Right. Isn't that well softball what makes sold out sports all, all, interesting all is yeah, I think whenever you've got greatness, maybe that's a little bit different whenever you're talking about having the absolute best of the best. But I don't think anyone around here would argue that we got the best of the best whenever it comes to our football program right now. We know where that is. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, the what, what interests us in sports to begin with is 
is going to see something where you don't know what's going to happen. You may witness something incredible, and I, the outcome is in question. Like, that's what's super appealing. That's what really drives people to show up and, and have a little bit of edge to them whenever they walk into the stadium and know that, hey, this may be a tight game. Who knows? Maybe the crowd is the difference. Maybe the atmosphere is the difference, and we need to go. We need to be a part of that. To me, that's what really drives fan engagement. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe people do just like to show up and know that you're going to win every single game. Well, I do think a, a general – I don't know. I don't want to generalize too much here, but I think a a decently large portion of the fan base kind of remembers the – you know the Switzer days and a lot of the Stoops days where we we did win all the time like we you know winning this program since World War II you know a lot of our fan base is used to walking in and knowing that you're going to win that's just you know what comes with being an OU fan for the last hundred years you know what I mean like so we haven't had a ton of that but the whole reason you join the SEC is to have these tough schedules if if you can't go to the SEC, get that patch on your jersey, think it's going to help in recruiting, think it's going to help with you know NFL draft stuff, think it's going to help with revenue across all sports, and then go, oh, wait a minute. You mean we got to play these teams too? What's going on here? So, anyways, we'll talk more about this. We've got to take a quick timeout. Uh, we'll catch you on the other side, and uh, stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Rush, Afternoon Rush. You've got uh, Teddy Lehman, myself, Travis Davidson. We've got Pierce uh, in the control room hanging out with us today. This SEC Thursday, the SEC schedule for 2024, at least the opponents and the locations have been announced for 2024. Uh, we're going to pop over to the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. If you want to give your thoughts on the show, thoughts on the schedule, always hit that up. 405-651-3439. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, talking about knowing whether or not you're going to win walking into the stadium from the 918. We get, we are still the University of Oklahoma, and we will still walk into every stadium expecting to win no matter what conference, which is echoed by Sooner Soldier. I disagree. Going into a game knowing you're going to win is awesome. The surprise of how much you dominate is the excitement. I kind of like that. I like the, hey, we know we're going to win. We just want to know how bad we're going to beat you. I mean, that's that that's intense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think I do. Hey, I, hey yeah. I, I mean, but, but like I said, I think that's the, how a lot the, of the fan base the is going to feel because we just keep winning all the time. Yeah. I think there's a uh, – I mean, I think you can get to – I'll just speak from from my experience. The craziest, the wildest, the the most intense I've ever seen OU's fan base during the 2000 season whenever we went into the season. Looking at the schedule, we knew we were going to have murderer's row. Uh, you're hosting the number one team in the country, and you're hopeful that you can win the game, but you're you're not sure. You're not sure if you are, but damn, you're going to have to do in order to get there. Out as students for three days to get your student tickets, I I 
I think whenever, like, you feel like you may witness something special is whenever you you see a different side of your fan base. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not cool to show up and kind of stick your chest out and be the big, big dog in town, but we're not that right now. We're just not. Yeah. I mean, we we are in the Big 12 still, but we're not whenever it comes to the biggest programs in the country, and everyone knows that. And I don't know, maybe some people want to hide from that and – and win the Big 12 and, and feel like if, if everything comes together on a special year, you can, you can find that spark and, and go toe-to-toe with, with some of the big dogs and see what happens. But like, we tried that a couple of times in the playoff era with some incredible teams, offensive, uh, you know, Heisman Trophy winners, and we weren't close. So, well, I, that's not true. We were we were close in seventeen for sure. Right, we were close. We were close once, though. To your point, um, out of multiple tries. Right. So, but no, I, I, I think we've got a really good text on this on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line from the six eight two. Last four times OU made it to the national title game, their schedule was a gauntlet, especially in two thousand. This is the way. And Teddy, to kind of your point. It gets the crowd so much more dialed in because the crowd feels like they need to be in it to affect it, right? Like, if it's a blowout, it's it's fun, you cheer, whatnot. But if there is a fourth and one with the game on the line and they need to pick that up, like, that's when your stadium's going to be the loudest. Like, you'll you'll have it loud for touchdowns and whatnot. You'll have it loud. But when you're hanging on every single play that could turn the tide – that's when you're going to be, I assume, at your best. And I think that, that plays into a little bit of what we talk about with the with the fan environment, right? With the with the with the crowd environment. What's what's the loudest you've ever heard heard that stadium? Uh, te- best atmosphere Texas you've Tech. been to. Texas Tech and blowout. Yeah. Oh, you. And that goes. But what was what was Tech ranked that year? Weren't they like? Well, they weren't like, the number one team. What were they ranked? No, they I were. I think they were tech. number one or number two in that game, in yeah. the jump around game. Right. Yeah. yeah. See, again, that was before my time, but Jeez, I've seen the guy. clips, and I'm pretty sure they were at least top three. Yeah. Well, they had just come off that that Crabtree win against Texas, and yeah. you know, it was that kind of round robin situation. They came in, and of course, it was. I mean, you don't you you very rarely get you know a top five ranked team coming in, and you just play the best game you've ever played and absolutely blow the doors off them. So that was a unique set of circumstances. But, you know, that was the craziest I've ever felt the stadium. But it's the number one – that's what I'm saying, though. It's the number one team in the country coming right, in. Right, right, right. Right. Like no. Nebraska, that was the number one team in the country coming in. The Notre Dame atmosphere, uh, I, they were number one or number two in the country coming in. So, like, that's what I'm saying is – those those best atmospheres are typically when you have a really highly ranked team coming into town and you're not sure what the what the outcome's going to be right and i think i think we're we're kind of approaching this or at least explaining it from two different sides right so it's not necessarily that you're blowing teams out right or that you expect to blow teams out maybe it's just that you don't expect to blow out a top-ranked Texas Tech team, but you do, so you're amped the entire time. It, it's 
you know, with Alabama coming to town. Alabama comes to town. If they're that first game to kick off the SEC, which I think a lot of us think, at least the three of us kind of agree that, that that's probably what's going to happen, that will be one of the be- best atmospheres. I don't care what happens in the game. That first quarter is going to be one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I just – I think you – I think we're going to get a – Win or lose, whether we, you know, make it through that gauntlet of a schedule or we we come out of it losing three, four, five games, you're going to have a, a realistic look at what you need to be and where you need to go in order to win a national championship. Right. right? Because we, we, we haven't had an honest view of that for a really long time. You have to go way back uh, whenever, you know, the, the Big 12 kind of took over the best conference, what, around 2010-ish, mm-hmm. 11, 12. That, that era was whenever they kind of really solidified themselves. There were things were up in the air. Um, I think the Big 12 at one point had a really good claim to it. But, you know, I, you you have a realistic view of where you need to be to win a national championship. And, you know, your first year in that conference, it it may be an eye-opening experience to say, like, we're a really long ways away. Like, we've got a, we've got a lot of things to do. You may, be, you may be fairly close where you lose two or three tight games and, you know, a handful of players at some different positions could, could really change, change the outcome. You know, like – I at least you're going to have an honest view of how far away are you really from winning it all. Right, and it'll be interesting because you wonder what the kind of the Big 12, um, I don't know, reputation does to how teams look at us, right? Like the the teams that come into Norman, are they going to think, oh, man, we're, I mean, this team, they came from the weak Big 12, they did this, that, or the other, we're going to wipe the floor with them. Or do they? Or do we get the respect that we think we deserve? Now, what I find interesting is, you know, we've seen Brent Venables on a team, you know, in Clemson, with that wasn't more talented than you know the teams that they beat for national championships, but they were led by incredible quarterback play and solid, solid, elite defense. Well, Teddy, when you look at Jackson Arnold. I think you. I think most of us feel this way. That's an elite guy, like that's an elite guy. So you're gonna have kind of a, yep. a Venables formula if Teddy, if he can get the defense right. And I think where at least most of the text line is at today, that uh, that conversation pretty much starts and stops with the defensive line recruiting right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you're kind of the meat and potatoes of your of your roster is really you got to build you got to build your team a little bit more inside out in the big 12 you know for a while we've kind of been an outside in position players um you know offensively driven that's that's going to change uh going to have to change yeah absolutely here's the thing though is the SEC and your top teams in the SEC, Georgia, Bama, 
um, throw LSU into the mix. Like, there was a time whenever those teams were able to to win at a super high level, even win championships, just being a inside-out team where they had the best offensive and defensive line, the best front seven, um, really backs. good running game, solid through the air, but like, quarterback, wide receiver was not necessarily critical. You had to be suf- sufficient. You had to... I mean, you had to be really good, but the problem is those teams have become elite everywhere. Elite at wide receiver, quarterback, lead at tight end, uh, lead at, you know, corner. and it's They are complete teams that are built all the way across the board. So I, t- in order to be able to go toe-to-toe with those teams, that's what you, that's what you have to do now. Yeah. You, it can't be a gotcha. Well, you guys run the ball a little bit better. You're better up the middle, but we throw it a little bit better. You guys aren't going to be able to beat us in a shootout. No, that's that's not the case anymore. They can beat you in a shootout. Yep, yep. It, uh, it, it's the key, you know, how many different ways can you beat somebody? That's when the Patriots were at their highest, you know, peaks was Belichick could beat you in 10 different ways. We've seen that with Saban, this, that, and the other. And for the longest time there, Teddy, uh, Matt Stafford was pretty much the only good quarterback that the SEC had seen for a while, and he torched everybody. But we got to take a break. Teddy, there's a, there's a question on the text line for you when we get back on the other side, but we're going to take a quick timeout. Stay tuned in. All right. Welcome back to The Rush. Uh, we've got Teddy Lehman. Got me, Travis Davidson. Pierce is in studio with me. So you're here with the three of us on this SEC Thursday. Appreciate you all tuning in. We were just, uh, you know, answering uh, some texts from the old Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Uh, If you want to hop in here, it's 405-651-3439. I want to get to one real quick um, for you, Teddy. Uh, From the 405, I get... Now that the schedule has been released for 2024, is Teddy standing by his claim of a natty in that third year of Coach Venables? Yeah, I've got to. What that was a reluctant do, bell yeah. on it now. Yeah, ten, to- um, ten toes down, man. Well, I did not expect for us to take as big of a step back last year as we did but you know like i said whenever after it happened like it was miserable going through it i hated it but ultimately i think that it was a positive for the program moving forward i think everyone involved coaches players administration fans needed to to have a, a like an honest look at where we were as a program and how we had just been kind of sliding by uh, against you know mediocre teams in a mediocre conference uh, playing a bunch of really tight games and finding a way to win Caleb Williams wins the Heisman found a bunch of way to win a bunch of different ways to win incredibly tight games the year previous 
So I think we needed a, a little reset of where we were. And now that that's the case, uh, you know, you, if you look stars-wise, it's pretty good. It still is pretty good. What was that? I don't know who puts it together, but we had like that 70% blue chip rating. Right? 70% blue chip rating. That's good, but it, it's it's kind of you look at it and say, well, where is it? All right? Where is that 70% blue chip rating? Well, we had a bunch of misses on a bunch of guys. And uh, you look at, you know, one class had a bunch of five stars. They're all gone. Every one of them has gone and never really contributed anything at all on the field. So like, we've had a bunch of misses. You know, we had a bunch of recruiting classes that were, yeah, they're star heavy, but it's star heavy from the outside in. You know, there was – we had a five-star offensive lineman that never played it down for us. Nate Anderson was, you know, one of our highest recruited players in – I can't remember what class it was, 19 class or maybe the 20 class. And, you know, he's he's not going to start for us. So, you know what I'm saying? So there's mm-hmm. there's been a lot of things where it looks good on the outside, but it's there's there hadn't been a whole lot of substance there for those recruiting classes. And it's become painfully obvious. So we've had to rebuild our roster, and I think they're doing a good job. We've got a really long ways to go. But, yeah, I, I think that I think some really good things can happen. We, I think we can compete. I think we are uh, in a, a really good place to have a court. Now he's going to be young, right? He's going to be young. Offensive line is, is getting in a better place. Our front seven is in a much But I got no choice but to stick by it. Right. I'll stick by it till the bitter Whenever it's clear it's not going to happen, I'll, you know, write it in sharpie on my forehead and walk around in public for a while just so i can be shamed well i got no problem with that i mean what do i care the the only reason i don't believe you will do that is because i i don't really see you walking around in public too often um so so maybe you'll write it in sharpie well that's the point but i'm not gonna see i don't think i'm gonna see you i'll just out on the town sitting on my couch the one one time i saw teddy out in public i was getting a credential for the spring game and i hear someone yell my name from the back he had his hoodie over his head oh yeah and he was slumped over like he was some undercover agent well saying hi to me so i'm getting talked to from basically the secret service is what it feels like (laughs) yeah that's basically what it is and i teddy i think uh (laughs) when when i think of the program under Lincoln Riley in the previous regime, I always think of the word gilded. Um, so, you know, when you when you paint a thin layer of gold over something to make it look, hey, this is gold. This could be solid gold. But that, that little bit of gold paint was your Caleb Williams. It was your Kyler Murray. You know, it was, it was quarterbacks who could grab victory from the jaws of defeat. And all of a sudden – when you start to scratch away that little bit of gold, it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's not gold at all under here. What's, what's going on? And I felt that to your point, you know, the program needed that. It needed the reset. And I saw a text earlier come through. I, I, I'm not sure where it is, but um, they said, it's nice to have a coach that understands that completely lacking a defense doesn't mean you're quote unquote close. 
Like, like, understand that you need to have both sides be elite to win a national championship. You can't just keep on trying to outscore everybody. That's not – that is not what works. So, like I said, gilded is how I would describe it. I thought that foundationally, culturally, we weren't where maybe our win total said we probably were. And I think last year is essential. I, I think if we have – I mean, all due respect to Dylan Gabriel, I think if we just run the team back last year with – with uh, Caleb Williams, I think we probably win 10 or 11 games because it's the, you know, we went 0-5 in one-score games. I mean, that's that's very common uh, or commonly uh, known by now. I'm not breaking news in that. And so with that, you get a couple plays here. When he pulls the ball away from the, um, the running back against KU to save that game, you know, te- Texas, you know, he comes back against that game. It's – you know, you can't rely on that. You can't just rely on the Heisman winning quarterback to pull you out of the fire, uh, you know, and, and save the damsel in distress, which is the defense. Eventually, you got to tell the damsel just to stay out of trouble. Yeah. No, I, I, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of, you know, we, it, it cranks up the pressure, though on on this year's recruiting class you know yeah you can't have you can't have a hiccup anywhere along the line like you got to continue to to recruit really well and to hit have not just have good star ratings and blue chip rating or whatever that is like you've got to make sure that those are hits like those guys got to turn into big time players for you um which in order to recruit in this conference and at the top moving forward, you can't just do it with the OU symbol. You can't just do it with facilities or promise of facilities. You can't even do it with on-field success. Moving forward, NIL, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on who you ask, is going to be the driving force in recruiting. Relationships are going to matter. Culture's going to matter. All of those things are going to matter. But you're going to have to have the NIL set up in order to be competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Massive progress really soon in L. It's going to become apparent and, yeah, the folks that are saying the move to the SEC is a mistake, well, they're going to be proven absolutely correct if our NIL doesn't come a long way in the next 12 months. Yeah. A long way. Totally agree with that. Uh, I do think it is valuable uh, to have maybe this year, like when you talk about those recruits hitting, it's nice that these recruits can come in and learn the system from players that played in it last year as opposed to, Everybody trying to learn it year one. I think it's just a better culture for learning right now. I mean, LV Bunkley, Shelton, JJ Hester being able to help out Andrew Anthony learn the system because they've been in it. Like they didn't have anybody to go to to teach them those things. So I think year two we're going to see that jump. We've heard the different, you know, the term on a different planet and everything like that. Um, so I have no reason to believe that it won't improve dramatically, especially with added depth. But we got to take one last break here in this first hour. Uh, of the rush and we will uh, catch you on the other side
Welcome back. Welcome back to The Rush here on KREF, the home of Sooner fans. We've got Teddy Lehman. We've got Pierce in studio and myself, Travis Davidson. We're going to close out this first hour. We've got, uh, um, you know, we're going to wrap up a little bit of NIL discussion. We've got uh, a contest going. Lots of fun stuff in this first hour. I do want to touch on uh, kind of some of the meetings uh, yesterday, Ted. Um, you know, the Board of Regents met, and Josie had some interesting quotes um, that I'm going to I'm going to touch on real quick. So. He said regarding NIL, bottom line is we have been very innovative, creative, and candidly relentless in trying to pursue an NIL strategy primarily because we're always trying to elevate our student-athletes and their experience at the University of Oklahoma. He goes on to thank the state legislature for the amending the NIL law um, and getting that pushed through despite the veto. But he also said that he anticipates OU's NIL activities narrowing to two primary collective approaches eventually. One, the Crimson and Cream Collective, which is not officially associated with the university, which does not have a charitable endeavor, and the Sooner Charitable Collective, which is officially associated with OU and is intended to be charitable. He said that's just on the threshold of getting started, Teddy. Yes. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, there's been – and I, I, I don't – it's – I'm not blaming anyone because it's been the Wild West. There, you hate to put a bunch of resources into doing something if it may not even be available to you or within the rules in in a month's time or, or how you know you don't you just don't know. Right. So I'm not blaming anyone. It but we are. We're getting a really late start, and you know there's been people kind of on the sidelines, I'm sure, donor-wise, who have, you know, whether they didn't necessarily know where to go with the money, um, hadn't been approached, or weren't confident in. You know, handing over large sums of uh, cash to NILs that they just didn't know who was running it and where's that money going and how are we going to keep track of who's getting it and understand all of that. So I'm just glad that we're getting to a point where we have some type of cohesion between uh, collectives and university and what's going to happen and try and get all of that up and running to where people feel confident with where they're putting their money. I I don't care how rich you are. You don't want to float a large sum of money to a shady NIL group where the NIL collective keeps 75% of it and 25% goes to some players, right? That's not what people want. That's not what this is supposed to be about. So making sure that you have the right people running it, uh, integrity, their people trust where their money's going is critical. And, you know, we've been really patient in order to be able to bring those things uh, to our to our fan base. So I'm happy it's here. You know, who cares about how long it took? Like, that doesn't do us any good to complain about it at this point, even though that's typically what I'm best at. Uh, <laughs> we just we got to get it rolling and we've got we're playing catch up. And we've been in a conference where, I don't know, Texas has an NIL that's 
that's sizable and and you know can get some some work done. Outside of that, I don't know who else has has done really anything at all of mention, you know. And it's kind of been okay. All right, we're not losing out, but I got news for you. A&M, Texas, Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Tennessee. Uh, you just go through all these. Florida. Like, all of these collectives are like the biggest in the country. That's what you're up against. And if, if we don't want to get beat like a drum whenever we go to the SEC, unfortunately, we're going to have to pay to play. That's the new game in college sports. Right. Right, and uh, we've got just a short amount of time here before we wrap up hour one. I do want to say it is hopefully the uh, donors have been kind of crimping the hose and waiting to uh, advance down the NIL road and this Sooner Charitable Collective, which is officially associated with OU and which is intended to be charitable, hopefully that's where the money goes. Now, I'm going to say... Actually, I'll, I'll kick it to the other side. We'll open up uh, with a little bit of a golf contest uh, entry. We'll open up the other side. We're coming up against a hard break. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, you're going to be back with The Rush. Hour 2 coming up next.